Let's turn to Amos chapter 1. Amos chapter 1. Okay. As we continue on in our study, now Pastor Chuck was here on Sunday throwing my, my lozenges, and I got me to throw them uh, off the pulpit here. The main theme of the book of Amos, of course, is the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. But the righteousness of God as it pertains to the unrighteousness of man, in particular the nations, the nations that God raised Amos up to show them of their need to get right, especially Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms. But in fact, this, this is a message of, of judgment. A judgment based upon the righteousness of God. So, as we get into this particular aspect, we're going to finish this chapter because we're going to look at the judgments that are going to come upon um, uh, Gaza and, uh, and Tyre and Edom and Ammon, or Ammon, those are the ones that are left in this chapter. There'll be some more next time in chapter 2. But we began last week looking at the judgment upon Damascus. And that particular judgment, uh, of course, had to do with the oppression, uh, the very vicious oppression that, uh, that uh, Syrians and, and, and Damascus being the main city of, of Syria, uh, had imposed upon the people of Gilead. God was going to judge them for that. Uh, and it's interesting that all of these, these nations that we see mentioned here, to some extent, are also going to be judged in the last days. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to deal with the, with the initial judgment that is current to Amos's time. That that judgment was going to happen then, but it's also preceding a judgment that is going to happen in the latter days. And we'll talk more about that as we go along. So the judgment begins with that phrase that we saw last week in verse 3. But we're going to start in verse 6. Thus saith the Lord. It says, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four. That phrase there. <clears throat> and I'll explain it in just a moment. For three transgressions of Gaza and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Keep in mind the statement, I will not turn away. In other words, this judgment is a done deal. That's what it means. I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof. And I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and him that holdeth the scepter from Ashkelon, and I will turn mine hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the Lord God. I have a question to ask you this evening. 
It's a long question, so pay attention. What will it take for the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what will it take for him to get the attention of the nations in this day and age, our day and age, when the majority of the global populace are not listening to him and really are choosing not to listen to him? What will it take for the Lord to get their attention? We know today that the, the day of reckoning is around the corner. What we've been studying in our previous book, the book of Joel, the day of the Lord, the fact that that day is coming. And once it begins, there's no pulling out, there's no pulling back unless you are in the church and you're in the body of Christ that is going to be taken out before that great and awesome day. Awesome, not in the sense that we use awesome, but awesome in the, in the sense of, of the darkness, of the, of, of, of the uh, desperation of that time. The time of Jacob's trouble. The time of great darkness, the time of great judgment. We know that day of reckoning is around the corner, and while the word of God is substantially clear and amazingly accurate in its prophetic predictions concerning the last days, Though the world is going its progressively perverted way, either by ignoring him, by ignoring God, or more dangerously, by being determined to wipe out any and all who faithfully represent him, including his own chosen people. Think about that for just a moment. And I want you to think about it because of the times and conditions in which we're living that affect the body of Christ, the church. I can tell you this, the church of Jesus Christ today, if we were just focused on the church alone, and we can't do that, we have to focus on Israel as well. But if we were to focus on the church alone, this church has, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ has not been attacked like it is being attacked today. There is a tremendously concerted effort on the part of the enemy, the enemy of our souls, who we call the devil, Satan himself, to use whatever means it can to silence the church, to silence the body of Christ, to silence the ones who, ca who carry the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it is happening more and more today. Did we fall asleep in 1960 when they took prayer out of the schools? Are we falling asleep throughout all of these, these many years, these two roughly generations of, of, of time that we've, we've passed since then to the point of seeing uh, abortion like we've never seen it before. Even to the point that uh, now infanticide is not considered as, as, as a crime, but, but really an alternative to abortion or as some new way of destroying a life. Consider all of the churches that are being bombed in other parts of the country. Consider the shootings that are happening in churches in our own country today. Why is it that we all have to have this, this very tight security in our churches today? 
Churches used to be the, safe, the safest place to be. And even when great tragedy takes place in the churches today, the world, the progressive liberal socialists, and yes, I'm using terms that are, that are used mostly in political arenas, but yes, I have to use them because that's, that is the mindset of these people today is to mock those who are, being, who are praying for people in the churches. They mock them. It's happened in, in, in major news sources today. Well, obviously, prayer doesn't work because there they are praying and somebody goes in and shoots them and kills them. The mindset of the political left in our country today. Then, as I mentioned earlier, you, you, can't, you can't discount what's happening to the state of Israel today and the the hatred that is being aimed toward them. And that for thousands of years, we're not talking just in modern times. We're talking about uh, ever, ever since they were chosen by God. So when you think about that and, and keep that in mind, because we, you know, we, we try to uh, bring the prophecies of the scriptures up to date with where we are today. And it's, it's not surprising that uh, the prophecies of the scriptures are themselves uh, being pronounced clearly as taking place in our day and time. Jesus himself in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13 made that very clear. So danger was at hand for the nations to whom the Lord sent his prophet Amos to warn. And even then, the nations weren't listening, including eventually Judah and Israel. His own people themselves were not listening to their God. The lion roar and the thunder roll were, were usually enough to get anyone's attention, especially his own, since judgment always begins at the house of the Lord. Judgment always begins at the house of God. Now, we, be, we, we had that scripture last week in, in 1 Peter 4, verses 17, and then following, let's, let's read some more. It says, for the time has come, the judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? What is, it, what, what is the end going to be for those who have not obeyed the gospel? What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Those who have rejected Christ, those who are rejecting Christ to this day, or those who have decided to create a different Christ, a Christ that is not the Christ of the Bible. Because a lot of people are creating new Christs today. Though they may look like Jesus or sound like a little bit like Jesus, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. What shall the end be for them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, now listen to that for a minute. You know, sometimes we just kind of gloss over that statement. But if the righteous scarcely be saved, which means if the righteous are saved with difficulty, such as Lot was. You remember Lot, the nephew of, of Abraham? 
I mean, he was, scarce, he was scarcely saved. He was saved with difficulty. He was hanging around the world so much, man, that he had to be pulled out of Sodom. And that, that's dangerous, isn't it? Where shall the ungodly then and the sinner appear? If the righteous scarcely be saved like Lot, then where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. I've often been asked, you know, you, you spend a lot of time talking about prophecy. Well, well, what about the way people are supposed to live? There it is right there. Keep, of your, keep your soul, uh, commit your souls to him in well-doing. Keep doing the things that the Bible tells you to live uh, a certain way. Live the righteous way. Live a godly way. Why? Because Jesus is coming. And the case in point here, and we saw it last week and, and the week before even, was that the, the drought that, uh, that God sent from Zion through the land in verse 2, that made even the very fruitful Carmel to wither, never brought Judah or Israel to their knees. Did you know that? That, that, that drought that went from Jerusalem right straight out through Carmel, on its head and on its way to Damascus, because judgment first begins in the house of God, all of that took place, the most fruitful land all of a sudden became barren, and it did not bring Israel and Judah to their knees. So the Lord sends his farmer rancher, Amos, to preach to his people to warn them. And you read in Amos chapter 3, verse 8, the lion hath roared. This is, this is the prophet saying, the lion has roared. Who's the lion? God is the lion. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? In effect, what, what, what Amos is saying to his own people is, y'all had better listen. Y'all, I put y'all in there because he's a farmer from the south. He was, he was from Judah. Y'all had better listen. But so should... The surrounding nations listen, for theirs would be the first pronouncements of judgment. In God's wisdom, Amos brings God's indictments upon the nations noted for their oppression of Israel and Judah before he indicts his own people. I mean, that, that's a reverse order from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel went directly to Judah and, and Israel first. And then they came later on in their prophecies uh, against the nations. But as we studied earlier on, eight times the phrase for three transgressions and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof is used by the Lord through the prophet Amos. The phrase is used for an incalculable number of offenses. In other words, for three and for four and everything beyond. An innumerable number of offenses. But most significant now is the fact that the judgment of the Lord was on its way and nothing could stop it. That's the reason for that next phrase. I will not turn away the punishment thereof. The judgment of the Lord was on its way and nothing could stop it. We saw his judgment for Damascus last week. And this week now, we begin with Gaza, or, the, or Philistia, the Philistines. 
in Gaza. As Damascus or Syria had received and would receive its judgment for carrying its punishment upon Israel too far through its inhumane treatment of the Israelites who lived in Gilead, using the threshing machines to tear up the people. So now would Gaza be punished? Let's read the text again. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Because they carried away captive the whole captivity they, uh, to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza. By the way, is there a Gaza today? There certainly is a Gaza today. It's where the, Philist the Philistines lived on the coast of the Mediterranean. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof. God is going to judge those from Gaza. But in fact, he's judging the Philistines. And I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod. Ashdod was another city in, in Philistia. And him that holdeth the scepter from Ashkelon, another city on, on that coast. And I will turn mine hand against Ekron, visiting them with the same judgment. That's what that phrase means. I will turn my hand against Ekron. In the Hebrew, it means literally visiting them with the same judgment. Whatever judgment they were going to give or were giving to or had given to Israel, they were going to receive themselves. In fact, this was to, Ju uh, to Judah. And the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the Lord God. So this was more of a judgment upon Philistia. The Philistines than on just Gaza. In fact, Gaza was just one of five key Philistine cities, as I've already mentioned. The others being Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. Now, we don't find Gath mentioned here. We find all of them, though, mentioned as far back as Joshua chapter 13. Because in Joshua 13, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. <clears throat> this is the land that yet remaineth. And notice what he tells them. All the borders of the Philistines and all Geshuri from Seor, which is before Egypt, even unto the borders of Ekron, northward, heading toward uh, Lebanon or Tyre. <clears throat> That's how far the Philistines were in Ekron which is counted to the Canaanite. Five lords of the Philistines, here's, here they are, the Gazathites from Gaza, the Ashdathites from Ashdod, the Eshkelonites from Eshkelon, the Gittites from Gath, and the Ekronites, and then also another little group called the Avites. But in the judgment itself, Gath is omitted from the mention of the cities, probably because it had already been destroyed by King Uzziah, in 2 Kings, uh, I'm sorry, in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 6, where it says, And he went forth, that being King Uzziah, and he warred against the Philistines and break down the wall of Gath. And then, of course, it mentions the wall of, Zabna, uh, of Yabna and, and the wall of Ashdod and built cities about Ashdod and among the Philistines. But Gath uh, was the first to be broken down, and the order given here lets us know that Gath was completely destroyed 
uh, first before the others. Now, the sin of the Philistines was that they, especially those of Gaza, all of them, but Gaza especially, took an entire group of people captive. This being the Jewish people. Trading in human lives and trafficking them as slaves. Selling them to Edom. The bitterest enemies of Israel selling them to Edom. In other words, whole communities of Israelites were sold to Edom. Not just a few. That's why it's so important to see that it says, because they carried away captive the whole captivity. Not just a handful. But whatever they gathered, they sent to Edom. And down through history, the, the Philistines had sought to exterminate the Israelites and to claim the territory of Canaan for themselves. By the way, this is what they still want to do. Because don't forget that Philistine translates to Palestine. We've mentioned this many times, that that is the very root for the word Palestine. There are no true Philistines anymore. So whatever they've done to adopt the name of Palestine has been done for one reason. Just as the name of Palestine was brought up at a time when, when Israel was, was being mocked, by calling the land Palestina. And this is why they had the name Palestine for so long. Even when the Jews arrived in the land back in the late 30s and 40s, and, and even earlier on, but, but mostly when there was the exodus of people coming into the land of, of Israel. I mean, they still used the word Palestine for the land. They had the Palestine times as their news uh, source, the Palestine Symphony Orchestra, which today is the Israeli Philharmonic. But back then, it was the Palestine Orchestra. But it was all used primarily as, as, a, as an attack upon the character of Israel, as if to say that Israel was of lesser value than those who would call themselves today Palestinian. They sought to exterminate the Israelites. That is exactly what the PLO tried to do back in the 70s, and even before then. And they continue to this day. They were a callous, hardened people who continually harassed the Israelites by raiding their villages and enslaving their populations wholesale. And thus the Lord pronounced his judgment upon the Philistines. He would burn the walls of Gaza and the other fortresses, uh, fortress cities of the Philistines. He, he would completely destroy the rulers and the citizens of Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Ekron. And he would not stop until the last Philistine was slain. Eventually, the Lord would use Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon, to completely destroy the Philistine nation. Sadly, another group of people in our time, as I've already said, have chosen to take that name, the name of such a, an enemy against Israel. And I can tell you that the modern-day Philistine is no friend of the state of Israel today. No friend of Israel.
And by the way, you know, we, we've often talked about the Philistines and men like uh, Goliath, who was uh, a giant. Uh, he was actually from Gath, so he was from that area of, of, uh, of, of Philistia. The characteristics of the heart of these Philistines can be seen in verses like Proverbs 1, verse 16, that say, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Their feet run to evil. Proverbs 6, 18, an heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. This is a, a, a perfect example of the kind of heart of, of this kind of evil uh, uh, people. Isaiah 59, verse 7 says, Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. So that just kind of gives us a character, a little bit of a peek into the character of these, of these uh, Philistines. Then there is the judgment against Tyre. And once again, it is not just Tyre, the city, but who, who was there in the land at that time, and that was, that was the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians that were the sea-bearing people, the uh, sea-going people, the sea-faring people, from uh, areas uh, uh, closer to uh, Greece and uh, Crete and, and, and that particular area of the Mediterranean. Uh, Judgment is given in verses 9 and 10 of Amos chapter 1. Thus saith the Lord. Notice once again uh, the, the model or, or the, the pattern of the judgment or the statement of judgment by God for three transgressions of Tyrus or Tyre and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. So for every uh, transgression, which are innumerable, I'm not going to turn away the punishment. In other words, the punishment is coming. The judgment is, is, is inevitable, in other words. Uh, because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom. So it was very similar then to what uh, the, uh, uh, the Philistines did. They delivered up the whole captivity to Edom. And now, whenever you see the word captivity, this also goes back to the Philistines. But you see the word captivity, that's saying that they were taken captive after some sort of conflict or some sort of war. So we're talking about prisoners of war. They delivered up the whole captivity to Edom and remembered not the brotherly covenant. There had been a covenant made by Tyre with David and Solomon. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I will send a fire on the wall of Tyrus, which shall devour the palaces thereof. So this prophecy against Tyre would in fact be meant for all of Phoenicia. For all of that upper coastland where Tyre and Sidon, uh, those cities were. Again, that would be in the area of Lebanon, north of Israel. And the sins in this instance were the same, as I said, as that of the Philistines, selling prisoners of war as slaves to the Edomites, Israel's most bitter and hateful enemies. Tyre was an ancient city, having been founded more than 2,000 years earlier. 
It was a city located on the seacoast with one of the best natural harbors in the ancient world. Situated north of Israel. We, we, talked, about, uh, we talked about Tyre uh, back in our study of the book of uh, Ezekiel. Uh, it's almost a year now since we were in Ezekiel. Uh, but situated north of Israel and southwest of Damascus, Tyre became one of the, the world's leading commercial and shipping centers. The prisoners themselves may have been taken during the wars of Israel with Hazael and Ben-Hadad of Syria. We talked about those wars last week, uh, who would have sold them then to the Phoenicians. So again, you're, you're talking about this confederation of, of nations that though they might war against each other, as we sometimes see in the Middle East, uh, because not all the nations are friends amongst themselves. I mean, there's wars between the Iranians or uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia. They're, they're two different uh, uh, forms of, of Islam that they uh, represent. And the same goes with other nations in that, in that region. Uh, eventually, one thing is going to be the same, and that is their, their hatred for not only uh, the Jewish people, but also for Christians. And that, and that we're seeing more and more happening today again in places like Iraq, Iraq Afghanistan, Iran, Turkey, where, where there was some sense of freedom at one time. That freedom is no longer there. There used to be Christian missionaries from here that would go to Turkey. And nowadays, and I know, I know a couple of them that are, that are there, good friends of mine that, as a matter of fact, they used to uh, come to the church many years ago, but uh, their, their uh, ministry is, is in that region, and, and they, can't, they can't advertise, they can't have emails sent or whatever, so they, they have others in, in the states that will do this, and they have to be very covert, and it's very sad, but that's the way it was. They used to print Bibles in Turkey. Now they kind of shut down some of those uh, uh, printing uh, uh, publication places and houses. So it, it just shows you where we are in, in the times in which we're living. The two very serious crimes that were committed by the Phoenicians, especially the, uh, the, the, the Tyrians from Tyre, were first of all their continual rejection of the only living and true God. Now that was, that was the sin committed by all these nations and by every nation that is going to be judged by God in the end times. Their full and complete rejection of the only living and true God and their mistreatment of God's people. And then secondly, their sin, the Tyrian sin, was disloyalty. Disloyalty. Having tragically broken their treaty of brotherhood with Israel. There had been a brotherly covenant of long standing between King Hiram of Tyre and David and Solomon. Most of you should know what one of the great symbols of Lebanon is today. Well, the great symbol of Lebanon is, of course, the cedars of Lebanon. And, and that was a, 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 a tremendous uh, type of wood, you know, that was used for great building, you know, that was very 
thick and strong. Uh, and uh, cedar was, was, was desired by, by many, many, many countries and many people. King Hiram of Tyre was actually one who, who, who dealt with that. And, and, and David and Solomon, of course, would, made a treaty with, with King Hiram for not only, you know, the cedars of Lebanon, but for many other things. Notice in verse 11 of 2 Samuel 5, it says, And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees. Notice, cedar trees. And carpenters. And masons. And they built David a house. 1 Kings 5, verses 2 through 6. And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, Thou knowest how that David my father could not build a house unto the name of the Lord his God for the wars which were about him on every side until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> given me rest on every side so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrent. In other words, there was peace. And behold, I purpose to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God as the Lord spake unto David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build a house unto my name. Now therefore command that thou, uh, command thou that they hew, my, uh, hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon, and my servants shall be with thy servants, and unto thee will I give hire for thy servants according to all that thou shalt appoint, for thou knowest that there is not among us any that can skill to hew timber like unto the Sidonians. So he's saying, listen, we, you know, we'll, we'll hire your, your people to come and, and build because they, there's nobody that knows building like they do. And so they had this treaty, the same in 1 Kings 5, verses 15 through 18, same chapter. And Solomon had threescore and 10,000 uh, that bear burdens and fourscore thousand hewers in the mountains. Beside the chief of Solomon's officers, which were over the work, 3,300, which ruled over the people that wrought or did or performed in the work. And the king commanded, and they brought great stones, costly stones. So it wasn't just the, the cedars, but stones and huge stones to lay the foundation of the house. And Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders did hew them in the stone uh, quarries. So they prepared timber and stone to build the house. And then much later on in 1 Kings 9, verses 11 through 14, now Hiram, the king of Tyre, had furnished Solomon with cedar trees and fir trees and with gold according to all his desire that then King Solomon gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. And Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they pleased him not. Wow. <laughs> and he said, what cities are these which thou hast given me, my brother? And notice the statement, my brother. And he called them the land of Kabul unto this day. And Hiram sent to the king six score talents. Of gold. Anyway, there was, there was that kind of a relationship with Tyre. But after time, that was lost. And instead of remembering the treaty, which was very important that they keep treaties of that sort, Tyre went the way of all the other nations, the Philistines, or I should say the Phoenicians went the way of the other nations and began to oppress Israel. Now here's something that you need to understand. It has to be noted that no king of Israel or Judah 
ever made war upon Phoenicia. No king of Israel or Judah ever made war on the Phoenicians, but the Phoenicians made war against Israel. The reason why God is bringing judgment upon Tyre or the Phoenicians. So his judgment would fall on the Phoenician people and consume all their fortress cities. This judgment was partially fulfilled, by the way, when Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon destroyed the city, and then it was completely fulfilled when Alexander the Great put a permanent end to the island fortress. And that we talked about back in our study of the book of Ezekiel. Now we come to the judgment of Edom. Edom, the one that has been receiving all of the captivity as slaves. It says in verses 11 and 12, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother. Now, notice that it says he. Who he? Esau. Edom and Esau. Edom is a nation that was established by Esau. It is in the present day land of Jordan. Because he did pursue his brother with the sword and did cast off all pity and his anger did tear perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Teman which shall devour the palaces of Bozrah. These are the, the, the major cities of Edom. The scriptures trace the hostility between Edom and Israel all the way back to the rivalry between Jacob and Esau from whom the two nations were descended. The two twin brothers in the womb of Rachel. By the way, the name Edom means red, covered with red hair. Genesis 25, 25, the first came out red. <laughs> that, was, that was Esau. He was the firstborn. Remember that firstborn doesn't always mean that he's going to get the birthright. And we know what happened with, with Jacob, even though he was a little bit of a conniver. Actually, a lot of El Caniver. Nonetheless, it says, The first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. Later on, they grew up in Genesis 25, verse 30. It says, Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage. In other words, you know, Jacob you know, became a chef. While, while Esau was a hunter, and he went out to hunt, you know, and stuff, and he says, well, you know, give me, give me the food for I'm faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. Because of the red pottage. I mean, the red was the same color as his, as his hairy body. So Edom and Esau, same, really the same name. Means the same thing, red. So getting back to our text, the phrase, he did pursue his brother with a sword, is not really a reference to any specific instance 
but a description of the traditional attitude of Edom toward Israel, such as we see in Numbers 20, verses 17 to 21. When the children of Israel were wanting to pass through that part of, of uh, the country that uh, the Edomites now oversaw, notice what it says, let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the, the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We'll go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed thy borders. We just, we just want to take a shorter path just to cross through here. And Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. Now, if you go back all the way back to Jacob and Esau, they made a, a little bit of a peace. When Esau was pursuing Jacob, but Jacob went out to him. And they, they made, they made some, some peace. But then later on, their hearts began to turn away from that peace. I'll, I'll tell you that it was because they did not adopt the same respect and reverence and awe and love for the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Same thing happened, by the way, to Ishmael with Isaac. Ishmael was the firstborn, but not born through Sarah. And even though Sarah had been barren, God opened her womb and came Isaac. Isaac was the chosen. Isaac received the inheritance. So there's that bitterness again. And isn't the world that way? I mean, just bitter when things don't go the way we want them to go. Bitter because we don't get the way we want things to be, you know. It's especially hard to see, you know, in a, in, a, in a Christian setting where people have that kind of an attitude. And rather than just give thanks to God, you know, there's a lot of reasons for us to give praise to God when he doesn't allow us to do something because he knows better what's happening on the other side of what happens if we, if we end up going in a direction we shouldn't be going. And he's helping us and he's keeping us from it. But some people are bound and determined. That's where I want to go. Yeah, you know. And they cry and they weep and they kick and they scream. And God is patient. You know, he's, he's patient with us. Praise the Lord. But, you know, sometimes he does one of those things. You ever had a parent, you know, that just tries to get your attention? He put his thumb on your hand or something and goes, ah, you know, okay. God that does that with our hearts, man. You know, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The children of Israel said, I've got to read on 19. Uh, the children of Israel said unto him, we will go by the highway, and if, uh, and if I and my cattle drink the water, then I'll pay for it. I'll only, without doing anything else, uh, go through on my feet. And he said, thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him uh, with much people and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage to his border, wherefore Israel turned away from him. 
Then we read in 2 Chronicles 21, verses 8 through 10, in the days of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, the Edomites revolted from under the dominion of Judah and made themselves a king. And then Jehoram went forth with his princes and all the chariots with him, and he rose up by night and smote the Edomites, which compassed him in and the captains of the chariots. So the Edomites revolted from under the hand of Judah unto, unto this day. The same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand because he had forsaken the Lord God of his father. So you see all those internal tensions. Folks, they haven't gone away. They're still around. This is part of what we look at when we're looking at prophetic issues being fulfilled or not fulfilled. And then realizing how clear the Bible is about Everything that had been predicted thousands of years ago is happening the same way today. Teman, by the way, is another name for Edom, though also a name of a city in Edom. While Bozrah is another important city in Edom, which is interesting. Bozrah is the one city that we find uh, in, a, in a prophecy where uh, Jesus has come from there with his, his robe uh, having stamped the winepress of his wrath in Bozrah. And then comes the judgment of Ammon, 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 In verses 13 through 15, we're almost done with this chapter. But you thought we were going to be here another two weeks. It was possible, but we're moving on. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have ripped up the women with child of Gilead. Can you, can you see the picture? ripped up the women with child in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. But I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah and it shall devour the palaces thereof with shouting in the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into captivity he and his princes together, saith the Lord. The Ammonites, like the Edomites, were also related to Israel in that they were descendants of Ben-Ami. That is where they get the name Ammonites from, Ami, Ben-Ami, son of Lot by one of his daughters. If you remember after the destruction of Sodom. Genesis 19, verse 38. And the younger, she also bare a son and called his name Ben-Ami. The same is the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. So if you remember that destruction came upon Sodom and Gomorrah and all the cities that surrounded there, Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. So all that was left in their own minds, like in the whole world, were them three, so, you know, the 
girls decided to take matters into their own hands with their father and whatnot. So we know what happened. The, Anam the Ammonites were, were actually more nomadic than the neighboring Moabites, who were their brothers, by the way. But together they were avowed enemies of the Jews, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And in their desire to enlarge the borders of their land, they invaded Gilead. We talked about Gilead last week, pertaining to Syria's uh, attacks upon them using those threshing machines and how they tore up the, the people with them. And not satisfied with attacking the men who were defending their homeland, the, the Ammonites brutally killed women and unborn children. That is exactly what they were doing. When it talks about the women being ripped up with child. They were performing brutal abortions. To the Ammonites, land was much more important than people. Because that is exactly what the text tells us they were doing. That they might enlarge their border. They began to get rid of the, the women and the children. And not just the, the men that were protecting their land. So, the land was much more important to them than the people, including defenseless women and innocent children. Amos and, and Ezekiel would both predict the destruction of their land. We, we, we studied it in Ezekiel chapter 25, announcing that a storm of judgment would come to the people of Ammon and that their capital city, Rabah, would be destroyed. And this would actually take place when the Assyrians swept over the land in 734 B.C., the chief god of Edom, by the way, and became the gods of, of these other nations, was the god Molech, Molech. In some translations, it's Milcom. But the Hebrew word is Melech. Based on that name comes the word Molech. In fact, verse 15 could be translated, Molech should, shall go into captivity. Their king shall go into captivity. Melech shall go into captivity, or Molech. Molech was the, was the, the god that was designed uh, to be worshipped, uh, having a, uh, an opening in its, in, its, uh, in its abdomen area with, with a uh, kind of an altar in the middle where, that's, where they would light a fire, and this is where they would place the children. This, was how they, this is how they offered sacrifices unto the god Molech. And God is saying in verse 15 that their king shall go into captivity. Molech is not going to save Edom, Ammon, or Moab from this judgment. Their God is powerless against the God who says, as he, as he does eight times, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. God is saying to the world today that every God that people worship 
even themselves. He's going to show the inability of those gods to save people. There's only one God that can save. And that's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Save through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And it was their great covetousness that brought them to this time of judgment. That brought them to this judgment to begin with. Covetousness. What about today? What about the sacrifices made by Satan worshipers? Or the sacrifices made today uh, in, in all the kinds of witchcraft and, and uh, you know, dark uh, magic uh, uh, groups, you know, they try to define themselves in various ways. But when you look at the bottom line, there's only one source for this evil, and that's Satan himself. And whether they believe in, in, in Satan by name, some do. But Wicca and witches, you know, they, they say, no, no, we worship the, we worship the you know, the, the nature, and we worship this and that and trees and whatever else which is kind of weird anyway. But nonetheless, it all comes back to the fact that it's Satan that gives him this, this impetus to stay away from the God of love and mercy, grace and truth. We have to be careful with covetousness, even in the church. We have to be careful with the things that we desire, that we pursue with. I have to say an unholy heart. Think of the words of Paul in Colossians 3 verses 5 through 7 where he says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Mortify, which means, hey, bring to death your members which are on the earth. Die to yourself. Die to these fleshly, carnal wishes and desires. And he mentions them, fornication and uncleanness, inordinate affection. There's a lot of inordinate affection today. Affection for things that are not of God and are not good for people to, to have affections for. God made it very clear how, you know, how we are to express our affections one to another. Man has chosen to change all of that. Evil concupiscence. Evil desires. Evil lusts. And notice covetousness, which is idolatry. When it comes right down to it, when you desire something and you pursue that thing with your fleshly heart, you are making that a God that you're worshiping like an idol. And I think that Paul is making that pretty clear. Then he says, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. 
That's the book of Amos, as it were. In the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. He says, you were that way already, but you're different now. You don't pursue your flesh. You die to your flesh. You die to sin. You die to these things. And you pursue Christ. And now you who are alive in Christ, stay alive in the spirit of Christ. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, let your conversation, in other words, let your conduct be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know what? It's great. Do you see the picture here? He says, listen, uh, be content with the things that you have. Because God has said himself, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, you have everything you need because you have God. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what what man shall do to me. It's a very big part of, of a lot of people's problems today is that we're always trying to please man. The fact of the matter is we need to please God first and always. I mean, it's okay to please one another. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like to hurt anybody. I, I, I don't go out there, wake up in the morning thinking, you know, who can I hurt today? Just can't wait to hurt somebody. Oh, I want to help people. That's why we're in ministry. We want to help people. That's what ministry is all about. Service. So we don't, we don't desire to hurt anyone. We don't please men all the time. But that's when we, that's when we really seek out our hearts and say, am I, but Lord, am I pleasing you first? And Lord, if I need to change my character or my attitude towards someone, then, then show me and change me. Change my heart, oh God. We sing that song sometimes. Change my heart, oh God. So I want to be like you. I live long enough being like me. <laughs> I want to be like Jesus. So that's our encouragement when we think about why these nations are being judged. It always comes back to the fact that they have rejected the love, the mercy, the grace, and the truth of the God who created us. The God who has sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So let's stay in Christ. Let's stay faithful to the calling that God's given each and every one of you. Stay faithful to that call. And love the Lord and love one another because the day of Christ is approaching.